0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Impact at Scale podcast. I'm here with George Wade, the co-founder of Zaviro, to talk about the work that he's doing in the space. So hi George, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so good to have you here, George. Why don't why don't can we start with just you telling us a little bit about ZaVero and the and the work that you're doing there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So essentially, ZaViro is a decarbonization platform that helps businesses measure, reduce and report their emissions. So we very much are focused on how do we get the best quality data in so that we can have the best quality reductions for our customers. So our focus is very much on getting the best physical activity data, not just taking how much somebody spends on on an item, but actually what the item is, and then being able to use all the, the fancy technology behind that to, to go, actually, you could have used X, Y, Z, and this would reduce your emissions. So yeah, decarbonization first, as opposed to just just counting.
0: So, I mean, that's interesting because I'm, I'm curious as to know why is reporting software so important? I know that there are a lot of companies out there that are starting in this space. It's becoming a much bigger issue for large companies and small. So what makes it so important?
1: I mean, it's the classic line of you can't really reduce what you don't measure, but it's very true. And the problem with, I guess, carbon accounting Is because it's relatively new to the extent that we're looking at now, where you're doing full supply chain emissions. There are so many thousands of data points for even a small company to be able to measure. So you kind of have to have the software to be able to make sense of everything. And one of the reasons that we started Zaviro, myself and my co-founder Ben, was actually because this is what we were doing as consultants before. We spent pretty much all of our time just trying to work out how to get data into a format that we could then work with and... Essentially, we were like, hey, wouldn't it be easier if we just automated all the tasks that we do 99% of our time? And then we just went, well, why not try and build it rather than try and find out if somebody else has built it? And since then, that's kind of obviously there's been a massive increase in the amount of companies that are doing that. But it's an in-demand service and it's a, it's a very complex service as well. So I think the reason why there's a lot of different people taking it on and why there's a lot of people that might go down, you know, industry specific approaches as well.
0: And can you tell us a little bit about the <laughs> genesis of this and how did you get together with your co-founder, Ben? I mean, you said you were working together. What made you take the leap?
1: Yeah, so weirdly, actually, we weren't we weren't working together. So I know Ben because he's my best friend from uni's cousin. So we met probably once in a pub at uni before we started a company together, which I wouldn't necessarily make a recommend, but we did a lot of work before we actually... Uh, before we actually came together and we're like let's make this a real full-time thing so it started when I was getting clients coming into my previous job and I was like hold on a minute I can't be doing this the right way there must be a better way to do this surely I'm just doing it wrong and that's when I messaged Ben because I knew that this is what he was doing his job he was working as a carbon consultant and I said hey this is what the process is at the moment with all the companies that I'm working with where is where am I going wrong and what technology is there to solve this and To that point he said there isn't really but this is what I'm working on and I said that sounds fun can I help and from there it's now turned into coming on two years in just under two weeks that we've kind of been operating and yeah so it's quite an interesting story of working our bedrooms during lockdown in the UK over two and a half years ago to actually fully forming a company and having an office and employees and all of the fun responsibility that comes with that.
0: So this wasn't your first dabble in environmentalism, was it, George? I understand that you did something very interesting in terms of your dissertation at university. Can you tell us a little bit more about that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, environmentalism very, very, is very much something that runs through my life. And my dissertation, I was very much focused on how do we remove plastic waste and how do we remove the barriers to kind of reducing plastic waste and what what are the blockers and that kind of stemmed from being a surfer or at least attempting to to surf and enjoying it when i do and also working in a in a bar where we got questions as soon as the david attenborough documentary came out we got questions about actually you know you shouldn't be using straws and all of these questions around plastic waste which we'd never had before which is really good, but then we replaced them with compostable straws. And again, it's still single-use plastic. It's just a different polymer. Is it really that good? And then the other thing is the bit that I was really interested in and provoked kind of my thoughts was in the kitchen for every time someone ordered a meal, everything was pre-portioned into plastic bags. So for any meal, you've got three portions of three plastic bags that are put in the bin just to serve your dish, but you're really happy because you've got a compostable straw. And that led me to think, well, what are the other reasons why? We can't reduce plastic and what are the other challenges in actually removing plastic from the whole supply chain rather than just the point of the consumer so yeah that that really provoked the way that i think about i guess big problems and and, and companies and how they solve them and it was a really interesting in, interesting study for me as well just in general to understand the way that businesses work and there's now led onto the kind of work that i do which is very much a bigger scale of, of carbon and not just plastic waste is how do we how do we reduce those issues and how do we remove the
0: blockers you said something very interesting there which i had never heard of before that the single use or the straws that compostable straws are just a different plastic polymer is that did i understand that correctly
1: i yeah i mean essentially it's uh, It is, it's still plastic because it's compostable plastic. So it's still a plastic polymer, but it's just compostable. So it can be made out of plants. But the problem is that, you know, those, those sorts of things don't always break down like they say they do, or they need specific conditions to do. And one of the things that I found really interesting was that, and at the time I was actually working for a waste technology startup, so it was all quite conveniently timed for me really. But one of the challenges that you've got is if you put compostable plastics into a plastic stream, like a normal plastic stream you can essentially render the whole plastic stream pointless because it will change the material breakdown. So like the lactic, the whatever the acids that are released from compostable plastics as they break down can actually damage like PET, so the most common like clear water bottle plastic. So it's at the point it's not consumer safe. So yeah, there's a lot of challenges with with all these systemic changes of trying to make changes around the way that we do things, but not having the infrastructure to be able to support that which I thought was really quite an interesting point that I got out of the research really.
0: Oh, that's that's actually fascinating and also I've, I've had had this question many times about items being biodegradable like whether that's packaging or anything like that and the notion that biodegradable sometimes is only biodegradable like in very very specific circumstances as opposed to just oh like chuck it on the ground and eventually it's gonna it's you know it's not a banana peel or something like that which would actually naturally decompose
1: yeah exactly yeah it's it's a bit of a tricky one for people to get their heads around i feel like the compostable element not to say that it's the wrong way but it gives people almost like oh i can have this compostable coffee cup and take it away and not feel bad because it's compostable but it's still going to be incinerated or put in landfill depending on where you are in the world in the country but it's more how do we get rid of the consumerism of of single use
0: anything i guess is the challenge so george i mean you mentioned that you know you started with this interest in plastic you were working with a waste management company now you're in this reporting business is do you cover more than just carbon in terms of helping companies understand what their impact on the planet is or is really the main focus helping them to understand their sort of scope one scope two and scope three emissions
1: yeah so realistically that is the focus just because it's really hard to quantify a lot of the other things so it's, it's more of how do we take away the the biggest issue, which I, I understand that, you know, you've got things like plastic actually have lower emissions. So we might, we would never make that recommended switch of going from, you know, glass to plastic or whatever it might be. But our focus is on greenhouse gas emissions, carbon emissions, because that's the biggest challenge that we face. And then everything else that comes around that, I guess, is is still incredibly important in context. But yeah, our focus is very much on, on carbon and greenhouse gas
0: emissions. So you raised-
1: There's only so much we can do.
0: You did, you you raised something that I thought was very interesting earlier, which was around the fact that we need to change people's mindset on single use anything. And yeah. what are your thoughts here on how do you enact that sort of change on like a large <laughs> system-wide or population-wide level? What, you know How do you go about doing something like that?
1: I mean, the one thing that I got from my from my research was that it's really bloody difficult to do. There are There are a lot of barriers to to anything like that, and I think it's ultimately comes down to you've got to have top and bottom uh, top- down and bottom-up approaches. I think some of the things that are really cool in terms of bottom-up approaches, and I think that this is almost like how do we make climate action sexy is is quite a important way to do it and I guess potentially sexy is the wrong way to look at it but things like keep cups and bringing I'm drinking out of a reusable water bottle now and things like that have just become almost like cultural statements for especially people my age I'm, I'm 26 and when I was at university if you had a compostable cup and a water bottle you were just normal that fit in if you didn't have that then you kind of get judged a little bit and I think that that's almost a really positive way of of looking at things so you've got cultural elements that make it really useful and really easy for changes to happen obviously that's just a small part of a change but then you've got things like pricing as well so in the uk you can get save money if you bring your own compost if you bring your own coffee cup sorry not compostable cup then i think that's obviously a big driver because you're going to remember if you're saving the price of you know 50p off your coffee or a pound off your coffee it's a real prompt for people to remember that and then the final thing is is regulation really does come down to a lot of that is is the biggest challenge of companies will only really care to the point it matters the most when regulation impacts them customers making changes it might you know five percent of things might change but if regulation happens you pretty much have to change everything so i think that that's the kind of biggest driver and and realistically as well it's about understanding the actual problem itself whether that's single use if it's if it's plastics, there's some great companies doing things like food packaging for, you know, takeaway, the amount of people that get salad times, you know, when I go down the, the there's a little food market near us and everyone's just using something for three minutes, then putting it in the bin. And there's some really cool companies trying to make that more, more possible, but it really just comes down to how do we start doing it and how do we build traction to the point where that's just the norm. And a lot of it comes down to price and a lot of it comes down to regulation as well.
0: Here in Singapore, I'm so often shocked at we have uh, sort of food stalls that are where most people will get their lunch, especially, and yeah, it's like even if you're eating in the food center, they will put it in plastic or a styrofoam box. They'll put it in a plastic bag, and literally sometimes people are using this just to walk like you know the four meters to their table to eat yeah. and then to throw that out and when I was working in the city you know I had a plastic a reusable plastic box that I would take down and you know you'd wash it out at the end of the day but I see more yeah. people doing it but you're right it's definitely not the norm and even you know serving on styrofoam plates and plastic plates because it's cheaper to buy the plates than it is <laughs> clean anything is it you know it's It's really disheartening sometimes and i think that's where legislation needs to come in in order to kind of help shift that mindset yeah exactly i think that's the biggest challenge and and i think that regulation can take many forms
1: of you know small price price increases for people that i guess are not familiar in the uk you have to pay 5p at the start for a carrier bag and 10p for a carrier bag but nobody has unnecessary carrier bags anymore so it's a small barrier like mentally where you're like oh I'll get my bags because I don't want to pay 20p for four bags so that's it just shows that almost like action doesn't need to be perfect it can just start off small and then
0: and scale from there on a previous episode and the reason why I like talking about change in society is because I think we really need to bring it if we are going to impact the world in a positive way we I interviewed the founder of a company called one small step and what I found really fascinating by that discussion was she worked in the government in Australia she was helping to create and enact policy and what she felt was she would have a bigger impact creating an app that individuals could use to help them understand where they could cut their in everything right from from plastic to uh, carbon and i always thought that no really where you need the change is it has to be at the top it has to be these government pushes and setting laws and policies that will impact the population her feedback was that yes but you need the population to be making the change in order to maybe enact that and the fact that every the whole thing behind the app is that if you do one small task this week then maybe next week you'll do two tasks and the week after that you might do three tasks and that it all kind of compounds but if you expect everybody to do everything all at once it it seems a bit much
1: yeah and I think that's a good example of almost just bringing people on for the journey i guess as well like realizing that climate action starting now doesn't have to be the same as in 10 years time and and someone just taking a you know reusable coffee cup or if for us if it's a business that just wants to understand what their impact is that's a big change in terms that's a big mental barrier for them to be able to go okay i actually i want to start this but i don't know where to start and that's i guess the value that i think that we provide is We just allow them to go, okay, here's where everything that you create an impact on the planet is. And then here's the plan that will get you there rather than kind of going, I don't know whether I need to reduce paper or whether I need to be on a renewable energy contract and really understanding like what difference things are going to make. And I think that it's the same for consumers as much as it is for for businesses. So yeah, you're completely right. It just shows though that you have to have both regulation and people ready for regulation, I guess. Which one comes first is the challenge. And this is
0: a nice way to circle back to uh, Zavero, which is, I know that you have a really eclectic set of customers and I was reading about some of the work that you were doing with a brewery. Can you just elaborate a little bit on that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we, we work with quite a lot of breweries here in the UK, which is is great because I've always got beer in the fridge and, and staff are always stocked <laughs> up with with nice drinks, which is always useful. But essentially we work with quite a few different breweries, one of which is a company called Dea based in Cheltenham. And we started working with them. They're actually our first, first customer nearly two and a half years ago now. And essentially what we've been able to do with them is just kind of build out what do we think are, are really sustainable businesses for the brewing industry. And they're a really interesting client more generally is is that market because they're essentially custodians of the planet. So, They have to worry about the water that they use. They have to worry about the crops that they grow, all the packaging, but they're also great sustainability because you go to a pub and you've got a reusable keg that is probably used, I don't know, 150, 200 times. So you have these kind of circular systems and these fantastic business models that are built around reuse and protecting the planet. So they're a really great example for us to be able to exhibit how we can make change so quite a few different examples there of how to use regenerative agriculture and how do breweries support that. And we've got some great, great partners that are working on some brilliant projects to try and make you know sustainable agriculture possible at price. That means that companies can actually afford to pay that extra to have regenerative agriculture rather than essentially just Taking out a full field of barley or whatever it might be,
0: and another very interesting client that I saw that you had is Wyden and Kennedy, one of the largest independent ad agencies in the world. So what do you do with them because obviously you know a brewery and an ad agency are two very different businesses. How do you help them
1: yeah exactly very very different all All the information that we we see is very different, but at the same same time it's all about what comes into their business and what happens during their operations and then what goes out. So evidently the the things that happen are slightly different, but the data is to some extent at least standardized in that sense. For companies like Wieden & Kennedy, we also work with a load of different creative agencies and service agencies. A lot of theirs comes down to travel. So their biggest impact will be the shoots that they do um, and the actual production of adverts or whatever it might be. So for us, it's more about how do we give them the data to understand here's where your biggest impact is. So if they've got... You know, let's say a thousand tons of emissions, what percent of it come from from business travel, what percent of it come from electricity. And essentially just when you get that understanding of, I understand where every single part of my business has an impact, then you can start thinking about how you set goals. So evidently, we're not going to be looking at agriculture and packaging for for Wyden and Kennedy, but we are going to be looking at, okay, this is how you reduce business travel. Here are the things that you can do. Here are the policies that you can implement. And a simple things like, you've got a shoot and you take eight people do eight people need to be on a shoot or can you take four people? And that's technically, you know, that's cut down your travel by half and you're still providing the same exceptional quality of service, the same delivery that you would be doing anyway. But are you taking people along unnecessarily unnecessarily or not? And that's kind of the way that we kind of approach things like that. So there's a, there's less that we can do with service-based agencies other than, you know, don't travel so much and and here's here's how you can maybe operate a little bit more efficiently in sustainability, but it still has a massive impact on the planet
0: as well. I'm having this flashback to when I started my career well I was in uni and I was interning at a ad agency, and I remember them telling me these stories of when you would go on a shoot in India how you know there would be six guys that would be getting you your tea you know and it was just like there were so many people on the shoot and the, the creative director and the account directors would be like what are all these people doing here you know and i can i can imagine maybe not to the same extreme example in india because india has a population like that but i can i can totally see where that would be taking place in other in other parts of the world especially if you're going on a shoot to a you know beautiful location or some place that people want to go to yeah.
1: Yeah, if you want to get a nice holiday. In all fairness, the more generally, I think the TV and film production have actually made great strides because, and I think this part of the reason why we really enjoy working with clients like and any of the creative agencies is they're they're really at the heart of like the way that we we think about not necessarily a consumer, but how we think about the way that people interact with brands and interact with with culture, and if we can help shape the way that they understand stories and the way that they understand sustainability then that transcends down so that's a really interesting way for us to look at the clients that we have and not only are we kind of at the heart of heart of the UK culture at least in the pub and with the pint but we're also from the top down in the marketing and the advertising and how we can influence that so I think that it's a really powerful Almost like looking at the clients that we have, it is powerful to see that that change is happening across so many different industries and that, that it's going to trickle down and, and kind of move upwards as people interact with it every day, which I know for me, that's that's really cool. We actually signed one of our clients because we've got our logo and emissions on one of our clients' beer. So it just shows that people people care and people pay
0: attention i mean it's interesting because you know you think about the ways that we have been subconsciously changed by advertising and i think to me the most prominent example is the engagement ring and how that didn't exist until de beers decided to run an ad campaign and now you know you can go to any country in the world and that is in so embedded in all cultures it's quite it's quite incredible actually The other one that's very famous is the fact that Santa Claus used to be dressed in green until Coca-Cola decided Mm. that they wanted to be associated with Christmas and dressed him in red. And now the idea of Santa being in any other color seems absurd. And that's, again, it's, it's, it's marketing that has impacted culture. And I think, your approach with a company like Widen, and hopefully being able to empower them to share messages and share stories from their clients on what a sustainable future can look like can hopefully ingrain into the culture.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, if we take, I don't know if for anyone that's a football fan here in the UK, two teams that I dislike highly, I will happily talk about this, this game was Man United and Reading and Reading they've got the climate stripes on their kit. And they were talking about, you know, ITV in the FA Cup of fourth round, they were talking about climate change and the importance of it on a football game. And I think that is very much true as if we can get that transcending through different parts of culture in in a way that makes sense. You know, it's not something that people feel pushed on. And it can be, you know, whether that is subliminal marketing, like changing the color of a suit, or if it's actually just protests or whatever it might be there's so many different routes to be able able to engage the right people and I think that that's and also doing it in a positive way that's one of the things that I I write a blog every week about climate optimism and my idea being that I'm a grumpy optimist because I'm a bit of a miserable sod sometimes but I try and try and be happier a lot of the time and it is trying to make people understand that we are actually pushing for a better world here it's not like we're trying to diminish the quality of life in what we're doing we're trying to make everybody's lives better more equitable so i think that's one of the roles that marketing and advertising can play in this is is how do we make that a better system for everyone
0: something that i find myself talking about a lot these days is greenwashing and the fact that you know people are so against it and my thought process here has always been you know even if 50 60% of what people are doing is greenwashing there is 40% 50% that isn't and the other side of it is there is an acknowledgement with these companies that are greenwashing that sustainability is important. People care about it. And that they are putting out a message about sustainability and about being climate-friendly and about looking after the planet that 10 years ago wasn't there. And even if they are maybe not doing all they're claiming to do, that message is is subconsciously sinking into the population. Now I think everybody knows. I mean, when they look at the stats of, how many people don't believe in global warming or climate change that that number has come down so much over the last year few years and i think a lot of it has to do with the fact that there is no debate anymore it is it is understood that this is what's yeah. happening and there and that we need to make the world better basically
1: yeah no i think you're right i also i agree with the greenwashing point to some extent in terms of obviously there's got to be checks and balances of of the way that we do things, but you are right. Cause it just shows that every company now cares. Obviously what would be great is if, you know, you've got big oil companies that will advertise, they'll spend 90% of their advertising budget on the green projects that they're doing, but they'll probably spend like 3% of their profits, green projects. So trying to get that, that flipped around and understanding that, I guess almost like that's a process and that we can, we can push for it as much as you want, but you are right. It's, it very much has to be, There's still 50% of companies that are doing it the right way. And things like taking climate action is pretty much a bare minimum now. If you're not doing that, your business is probably going to struggle to operate within a few years.
0: So that's a really cool part of people pushing for it, I guess. I mean, the very interesting thing that I was reading about, I think that took place last year was the Shell shareholders suing the board of directors of Shell for not doing what they claimed that they were actually meant to be in terms of limiting their Carbon emissions, and when you've got people at a director level of a publicly listed company that feel that they could be held liable for promises that the marketing departments are making, there is really going to be huge systemic change if that is the case, because you're really hitting people where it hurts. And at a board level, that's where actual very key strategic decisions are being made.
1: Yeah, exactly. Especially if they're taking on taking on responsibility for for it, the level of personal responsibility as a director as well. It's. It just shows that change is possible. I think is the key point to take from that. Yeah. Even the big companies are going to be responsible. Oh,
0: you're totally right, and I, I will. I will definitely share a link for your blog, whose name I love, by the way. I think. I think I'm often caught when I speak to people in in climate and in sustainability between the very the people that are pragmatic and realize that you know this is a process. It's going to take time. We can't expect the whole world to you know, stop driving cars tomorrow. And the people that are on the more kind of extreme side, where they want you to give up eating meat, you know, everybody should be vegan. And oh, if you're not vegan, then we're gonna give you abuse. And it almost like pushes people away from the from the kind of the movement, I guess, because if you're feeling yeah. like, oh, if I'm going to be criticized, if I'm not doing everything right, then I'm not going to do anything at all. And I and I find that there's like this interesting mix currently in the community of people that are like, no, we we can do this, but we need to do it in a logical way as opposed to like have complete revolution and burn the system down.
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely, you're right. My my approach is very much, I'm sit somewhere in the middle where, you know, I eat meat, but I don't eat red meat. I limit all of that sort of stuff, but I don't, My my job is very much what i enjoy and it's what i'm it's part of part of who i am but you are right it can put people off if you go a bit too preachy with it let's say but at the same time i also think because this is i guess part of the challenge is like is extinction rebellion or all these people with things like throwing super paintings is that is that going to scare people away and i think that i think it basically reason why i quite like those sorts of protests even though they do annoy me because i go you're just not solving the problem but at the same time what they are doing is they're dragging people towards a solution where if you've got the midpoint is kind of doing nothing by being so extreme on one one wing of of the way that they do it they're almost dragging people to take normal as what we should be achieving for and and aiming for so taking climate action is to the extent that we take climate action and policy does is not anywhere near their level of taking action, but actually they're taking us in the right approach and they are kind of showing that it's something that we should be fighting for. Um, Whether their tactics are the best for each person and every person is a different story, but actually more generally, I think there's, there's a lot of value in so many different approaches, whether that's me writing a slightly miserable, slightly optimistic blog or whether that's someone protesting for their life and I'm not in myself on the same level of a pedestal as them, because what they do is pretty pretty crazy
0: I found interesting when I look at the climate movement versus some of the other large kind of protest movements that have happened in our life, whether those have you know happened with regime change in certain countries or allowing the women women to vote or equal rights in the u s the The biggest problem that I see with with the climate movement is that there is no singular point of focus. There is no like goal to say, hey, we've achieved this because there's always going to be more that we can do. I mean, I think it's almost accepted that we're not meeting the one and a half degree temperature raise. And now it's like, well, we're just going to try to keep it under two. But even if we did achieve that goal, there is the plastic issue, there is the biodiversity loss issue, there is the looming mass extinction that's coming up, you know, and there are so many of these different facets that are all contributing to sustainability, to the protection of the planet. But there is no single focus to say, right, well done, job done, you know, we threw out this politician and replaced him with another one, or we now have the right to vote or some, something like that. We, so I think that their, their lack of focus can cause there to be dissent among people that are on the same side
1: yeah i think that's true there is no cohesive anything i guess it's that that's a i guess a positive and a negative of it's such a big problem there's so many different ways to solve it but you're right it's you don't know whether you've achieved success or not really that's the challenge things like the ozone layer are a really good example of how it's possible to have one singular point of, of focus but unfortunately climate change is so multifaceted that's it does make it a challenge but feel like we're on the right lines my optimistic mind is we're on this upward trajectory of
0: probably why people are, are very gripped with carbon because it becomes like something that you can measure it's a very clear target you can set goals you can say we want to reduce this and it's all focused around this one main point of carbon emissions on the planet to reduce temperature change and and you know i'm not arguing with that i think that's a great way to start and i also think it gets people thinking about their wider impact on the planet and how that can change and how that how one person or a company can have that positive impact
1: yeah that's that's really true. I think that I guess to some extent that's one of the challenges that we've not necessarily faced in our job, but from a a moral standpoint of you know making sure that if we do recommend anything to clients that we are thinking about everything else so but again, it's just so hard to measure other elements, you know whether it's biodiversity. But a lot of the positive decisions that we'll make for, I guess, greenhouse gas emissions and kind of thinking about the planet more generally will positively impact everything else as well. Um, But then again, you are right. I mean, the classic example of plastic has one of the lowest emissions of all packaging. So maybe we should switch all to that, but we actually, we know that that's the reason why we can't do it. So I think it's really focusing on, uh, on trying to make the right choices and carbon being as a, Proxy for that is is useful, but it's as you said, it's it's not always the most important thing. Not to talk myself out of a job here. Yeah. It's important, but there are other things to
0: consider. And I think you know the the last question I have for you is actually kind of connecting everything, which I find interesting. You know, how do you how do you balance, or how do you think one should balance, for example, plastic pollution versus food waste? Where how do you know what is better, what is worse, what is, and you know, this comes down to what you were saying about being in supermarkets and, and 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 dealing with packaging how do you decide which one to work with
1: yeah I think you're right and I know that we've we've talked about this a little bit before but we'll go back to that example of a food waste in well of plastic packaging in the cafe restaurant that I used to work in and you've got, let's say we've got a, a stir fry and you've got one bag plastic bag with, with noodles, one plastic bag with chicken, one plastic bags with, with vegetables now, because those are pre-portioned and those are packaged out, there is minimal waste because everything is measured and everything is kind of, here's the step portion and here's how much we needed to buy. So you are actually reducing food waste now, technically from an emission standpoint, by reducing the amount of food waste, you're reducing the emissions because 99% of that meal's emissions and impact on the planet will come from the farm. So things like putting plastic wrap around cucumbers is actually really beneficial because it will save so much more emissions and so much more impact than that cucumber rotting on its way because the plastic really protects it. So I think that there's, we've got to understand that there's certain use cases where Right now, it makes the most sense for us to use plastic where possible, or at least packaging where possible. I guess what we need to get out of is how do we prevent single use rather than packaging more generally. So, I mean, classic example is beer is a really good example of we ship beer, especially in the UK. We ship it all around from pub to brewery, and it's sent back in a reusable container, which will last for years. And almost thinking about, okay, well, if we sell by the bottle or by the can, what's the most sustainable way to to drink a beer? Or what is the most sustainable way to do anything? And it's about understanding that sometimes you have to have necessary evils, like potentially pre-portioned plastic bags, to be able to limit food waste. And if, you know, the food waste is 100, 100 grams of carbon and the plastic packaging is not even a gram of carbon, what is it that we should be thinking about? And those are the sort of decisions which are really difficult and that they rely on a lot of data from, you know, companies like ourselves to be able to work out here's the biggest impact. But then it's about how do you also go, well, if that food is 100 grams, how do we take that and go to 50 grams of emissions instead? So replacing chicken with, you know, meat alternatives, or whether that's actually just removing the emissions from pesticides and fertilizers at the farm. So I think it's a really difficult question. I almost like people listening that's a really good example to think about sometimes you have to have the necessary evils to be able to make fewer emissions and and have a fewer impact on the planet and often one of the challenges that we find is we see the emissions or we think about the biggest impact as the things that we see so if you've got a if you've got food if you've got let's say for example you've got a uh, a cucumber you see the plastic that you take off and you think what a waste but what a waste would be if we wasted thousands of cucumbers for every one con- cucumber that gets to someone's fridge in good condition because we don't have plastic packaging. And I think it's a really hard mental barrier to, for people to get around of, of how we think about the whole supply chain of, of a product or of a good and really understanding that it's, it's so much more systemic than that is, is the key point. But yeah, plastic's not good, but neither is wasting anything.
0: Well, George, I, I just wanted to thank you uh, for taking the time to speak to us. It was really uh, interesting and, and enlightening to, to hear about the, the work that you guys are doing. So uh, appreciate you taking the time.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, nice to chat.